0: So, as we've been discussing this fruit of the Spirit, I've I've introduced it again and again. As I said last week, I think this is like the seventh message or something. And so I think we should be familiar with what this subject is about. um, That it's the fruit that God, the Holy Spirit, produces in us as believers uh, through His work. You know, when we got saved, we received not only Christ as our Savior but we receive the Holy Spirit to indwell in us. He's that other comforter that the Lord spoke of to his disciples that um, he would send in his Father's name who would abide with us. And he is the one that enables us to to have these fruits in our lives and make them a part of us. And so it is the work of the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot to say about that, and we've said a lot about it, So I'm just going to basically sum up uh, what these things are. Well, actually, I guess that's not actually what I'm doing. I'm going to focus on the one that we're looking at today, and that is um, this this fruit of temperance. And that's going to sum up, I guess, our study of it. I was reminded recently of a statement that Chuck Colson, he's the founder of Prison Fellowship, a large prison ministry, he used to say, it's either the conscience or the constable. And what he meant by that, of course, is that we're governed by our conscience, and if we would listen, or if we would follow a good conscience, um, then we wouldn't need a constable to put us back in line. But the problem, of course, comes in the fact that we as humans have a, an old nature uh, we have this fallenness, we have this sinfulness that is inherent in us, all the way back to our father Adam. And you know, even when you think about uh, you know democracies or Western governments like Canada and the United States, we were founded with a large love for freedom, uh, to be free, to kind of govern ourselves as much as we can, and. Uh, For a large part, we we do that in the West, unlike, you know, dictatorships or monarchies and those who rule with a much heavier hand. However, again, for that kind of freedom to be extended and maintained, it takes, takes, again, the citizens to govern themselves, to utilize or to, you know, practice some self-control. If they don't do that, then law has to step in and as laws you know as because as our countries have gone on for hundreds of years now well a hundred some years i guess uh, unfortunately again man and their bent toward evil uh, has created the need for more and more laws and as that happens we are losing more and more freedoms and that's just that's just sort of the way it works now When we talk about self-restraint, or self-governing, or self-control, this kind of an idea, uh, that's what our word temperance is today, it's not, again, not the self-effort, I know we use the word self-control, but it is the work of the Spirit of God, that He produces this in us. And we need to keep that in mind. Although uh, we are involved, obviously, as, as we are with all of the fruit of the Spirit, um, it's as we walk in the Spirit. That's been pointed out many times in our text as well, to walk in the Spirit. And, there, and then as we do that, which means we are yielding to the Holy Spirit, we are uh, allowing Him to work in our lives in a, in a way that He can make this fruit flourish in our life. And so, it, so we're involved in that, but it is by His enabling and His grace. And that's, that's all I think I need to remind you about it by way of introduction. So let's have a word of prayer and then I'll give you some thoughts about, about temperance. Our Father, we desire indeed for Your grace to help us to, uh, Lord, not only understand, but Father, You know where we all fall down in these areas. Um, you know the... The ways in which we need uh, grace to help us to make the applications of the, this fruit and allow it, and where we see it lacking in our life, um, we would pray, we would seek you, we would yield more, we would work at uh, allowing you to build these things in our life. And Lord, as I as I saw with meekness and with long suffering, and maybe even some of the other ones. Uh, well, certainly some of the other ones, there was a need for improvement. And Lord, I need great improvement in this area. And I pray for your help in that. But bless the message. Use it in our life, we pray. And may you be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we think about I only had a couple points uh, to kind of give us this thought this morning. And the first one is the need for self-control. I think the need is obvious. Um again it's the need is is I think in my mind seen first of all in the fact that we are fallen that we have this old man this thing the Bible here calls our flesh. And you'll notice it again in verse 16 as we've looked at this before but I want to draw your attention back to it again because it it, it will be helpful I believe in our in our uh consideration of this. He says, this I say, uh, yeah, this I say then, walk in the spirit that ye, excuse me, I can't read today, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now this is what he calls the lust of the flesh. The word lust, I know we use that mostly in the area of sexual things, sensual things, but it just simply means desire. And our old man, this fallenness, this what the Bible calls flesh, that we are, you know, that's our nature, it has desires. It has appetites. It has um, cravings. And these are the lusts of the flesh. But what he says in verse 17 is that the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. So these appetites that our carnal nature has are against the Holy Spirit. They are in contrast to uh, to God. Now, when it says against, you know, he against the Spirit, uh, I think you know this for sure. But it's important that we think about and understand uh, who the who the Spirit is. Uh, this is the Holy Spirit. This is not the spirit of man. This is not, you know, some cosmic force, some kind of karma. This is a person of the Godhead, the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. So our flesh, our old nature. Um, it has desires which go contrary to God, to God's morality, to God's standard, to God's will. Our flesh lusts against that. And this still happens. This is why he's writing this to Christians, uh, to understand that uh, we need uh, this kind of self-control. We need the work of God in our life because in our flesh there's still this bent toward uh, going against the ways of God. Now, it could have just as rightly said, our flesh, our flesh lusts against the law. Because these things that are uh, listed here in verses 19 to 21 as the works of the flesh are also condemned in the law of God. But as born again believers, and this is, I'm kind of connecting this back to our, our larger study of the book of Galatians, we've been talking about law and grace and this sort of thing. We know that we're not saved by works of the law. We know that we are, as believers, not under the law. If you notice in uh, verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And he talks about circumcision. He talks about putting you know, the desire for the Judaizers and the false teachers to put people back under the law. But what we need to understand is that that doesn't mean that we are free to just do whatever our flesh wants. Uh, when our flesh goes against God, when our flesh goes against the law of God, we're, we're also going against the Spirit of God. So as a born-again, a born-again believer who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we are not governed per se by the law, but we are governed by the Spirit of God. We are under His ruling, you know, in our lives. And when we go against that, we are walking contrary to the Lord. And we, we should not, you know, we, when we do that, we're sinning. Let's just be plain about it. When we, when we walk contrary to God, we sin against God. Which is really more personal than, you know, to say we sin against the law, and, and we do. Sin is the transgression of the law. But it's even more personal than that. We're, we're sinning against our Creator. We're sinning against the One who saved us. We're sinning against the One who loves us and dwells in, in us. The One who has given us eternal life. And so when we walk in the flesh, we end up uh, going contrary to, to God. James points out this principle also when he says, In in chapter 1, verse 14, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So temptation, allurement to sin, this solicitation to sin, comes from the drawing, enticing voice of our lust, our desire, our carnal appetites of our flesh. And therefore, we need the ability to control these appetites. We need to restrain them and not indulge them. And so we need self-control. We need to be able to govern ourselves. Um, You'll never compete in the sport to your maximum potential if you don't have any self-discipline. Now, I know that I'm not a, a... I wouldn't even consider myself a... Mediocre athlete, but uh, you know, occasionally you have people that come along like Michael Jordan's or you know, Wayne Gretzky's or these kind of athletes that are just a cut above. And I and I don't think that any amount of training and discipline and exercise and, and and whatever could ever get most of us to play at that level, but to play at whatever the maximum potential of, that we have, uh, we'll, not, we'll not reach that if we're not self-disciplined, right? We'll never reach that kind of um, you know, peak without some self-control.
1: Because if we're
0: lazy, if we won't exercise, if we won't deny our flesh you know, some of the food maybe that we want to eat or those kind of things, uh, it's going to cause us to be more sluggish, more, uh, you know, less disciplined in our less effort being put forth. You'll never really uh, maintain your proper weight if you can't curb your appetite somewhat. And it's true that you'll never really reach the potential spiritually that God wants you to live at or to grow toward without some self-discipline, without some self-control. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, He says, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And he he makes that illustration of athletes and how they have to be disciplined. They have to have some control over their body and over their appetites to reach their goal of obtaining a crown. The crown they strive for is just one that's going to rust or fade away or you know, they, in the old, I guess in the old um, Olymp, Greek Olympics, they didn't give away gold or silver or bronze. They gave you like a floral crown to wear. And uh, I don't imagine it lasted more than a day or two. Uh, they fade away. And even the gold medals that are won in Olympics today, uh, they don't last forever either. So, but we are running to obtain a an incorruptible crown, and paul says, therefore i I keep my body in subjection, I beat it into you know submission, I make it obey because i want to I want to win, I want to be what God wants me to be now i I hesitated as I was studying, this was what kind of came into my heart, but i, I didn't want to i don't want to spend a long time on this, but I thought with all of what's going on in our world today, it's something that I think needs to be said. And so I want to just make a statement about sexual temptation. Because we live in a very unbiblical and immoral society in which they exercise really no restraint. Most of the time, there's very little restraint as to the sexual desires of people. Um, And the world is going in that direction more and more and more. But biblically... Uh, the Bible and God's view on this, we know very well that sex is reserved for marriage. And marriage is defined in the scriptures as the union of a man and a woman for a lifetime. There is no other uh, union, there's no other, whatever you want to call it, partnership that God, you know, that constitutes a marriage. Only one man, one woman for life. That's that's the only marriage we ever find God Uh, Designed and God is the one who designed marriage, and so He's He has you know He's designed it. He He knows how it works, and He has the right to make those definitions, and we can't change those. And so, sex is something that is reserved within that union, and outside of that union, in any way, is sin against God. And so, uh, I just want to remind us of that because the world, the only restraint or the only criteria you seem to find in the world is consent as long as two people are consenting uh, you know then it's it's fine in their eyes but that's not what the scripture says mm-hmm. and this is an area where uh, there are appetites there are desires and sometimes we're drawn away enticed by them and it's an interesting thought and I, I won't dwell on this either because i don't think i could come to a perfect conclusion but i have at times pondered in my mind is temptation sin well we know jesus was tempted in all manner like we are yet without sin so to be tempted perhaps is you know and obviously in that way temptation is not sin but at what point does it become sin and that's where you you have to sort of think on that when in your mind uh, have you committed adultery in your heart? When when do those things take place? And there is there is a, a line there somewhere. But we we know that there are these appetites. We know there are these desires. And we are to control. We are to by God's grace restrain those. And again, I, I point this out because in the world um, they don't they don't think in that way. They think that this is something that is to be indulged. This is something that if you, if you preach abstinence to you know, the high school or to a, a young adult crowd, the college career group, uh, they think that's absurd. They think that's ridiculous. That they, these urges are, are natural and only to be indulged in and, and so forth. But again, we're not the world. We are God's people. And we're to fall in line with the scriptures. That's why in verse 19, the works of the flesh, the first ones listed there, are adultery, fornication, uncleanness. I think we all know what adultery is. When a married person uh, indulges in some sexual activity outside of that marriage, uh, in any fashion, it's, it's adultery, it's wrong, it's sin. Fornication. We usually apply that to unmarried people; that they are to abstain from fornication. They are to stay away from any kind of sexual sin, and that includes pornography, by the way. The word fornication is the Greek word pornea, and we are to abstain from that. And I just, I, as I said, I didn't want to go into this a big, a long time, but I, I just know that it's such a, a thing that people face in the world, and, and. Um, Again, you know, when in the world's eyes, when two people are dating, they assume that they're sleeping together. Whereas believers, that should not even be assumed, it shouldn't even be a consideration. And so that's true of, uh, an uncleanness there, by the way, it doesn't mean you just didn't tidy up your room. It means moral impurity. So we're to stay clean in that. And I wanted to make one more statement because, again, this is something that uh, it's just sad, but it's pertinent in our society. And that, that even includes people who have what's referred to as same-sex attractions. Because I've been asked, even recently, uh, somebody said to me, uh, I'm gay, what do I do? And my first response is to abstain from any activity. Because, again, uh, that type of behavior is called sin in the bible and it used to be you didn't even think that it would be possible for a believer to have those kind of attractions but i've come to learn that that some do so what do they do about it they they use self-control just like the people that in our church that are single we uh you know we expect them to exercise self-control and to remain pure and I expect, no matter what the attraction is, uh, that's that's what they must do. And I hope you understand that. But I just want to make that statement. It might help somebody. What do I do about it? Abstain. Don't fall into sin. Don't yield to temptation. Don't give in to the lust of the flesh. And just pray and seek God. Walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, and by the way, I know a lot of you that have been around a long time, you know this, but Betsy and I, we went through our, our period of dating, you know, the months in which we, we, we kind of referred to it as courting, but dating. And then we went through our time of engagement when we were engaged to be married. And in that entire time, we never even so much as kissed one another. Our first kiss was at the altar when we got married, and it wasn't that there was no attraction there. Obviously, there was an attraction, but we had to exercise self-control. We had to exercise temperance, and this is what the Bible tells us. We in that's just one area of natural appetites of carnal the nature that we have that you know. And again, a lot of those times, appetites are not wrong or bad in just simply the appetite. The desire to eat is a natural desire, but you can be a button. The desire to have a companion, you know, to have a wife, a husband, is not a, a wrong desire. <coughs> but until God gives you that, you have to be able to exercise self-control. And this goes on through every area of our life. Uh, whatever our natural desires, whatever our appetites are, we must keep them in Check to the will of God. We read in Titus where he said the old men, he called them aged, aged men were to be sober and temperate, to use self-control. And then he said to the aged women, likewise, you need to be sober. Not given to much wine, not, not, uh, what do you say, uh, basically spreading lies, um, whatever the phrase was there in Titus 2. But it basically is to be temperate. You know, don't let your tongue... We have to control our tongue as well. We control our bodies. You know, um, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, right? Present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. We're to occupy this vessel, our body, in sanctification, the Bible says. So we're, we're to control the body. We're control... You know, when things come into the mind and, and the body wants to respond, we have to check that if it's, if it's a wrong desire. If it's something that even, um, you know, it says in the Bible, uh, Numbers, I didn't write down the verse, but it says in the book of Numbers that the children of Israel fell a lusting, and when it talks about that, it talks about they were lusting after food. You know, remember they remember the leeks and the garlics and so on, and essentially what, what we see there is that God had provided a means by which they were to be fed through the manna and his provision. But their flesh fell lusting for other things. And it was a sin to them. Not that, not that to be hungry is wrong. But they were to only fulfill those things within God's boundaries. And this, this is the principle. When we have things that um, we may desire, we have to ask, is this God's will? And if we know it's not, then we have to resist it. But also controlling your tongue. You know, in James chapter 3, he says... For in many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able to bridle the whole body. So he told the aged men to be temperate. He told the elder women to uh, guard their tongue, to guard their lives, to be uh, you know, temperate again, use self-control. And then he said uh, to teach the younger women that they basically you know, be self-controlled. They submit to their husbands. They uh, be keepers at home and they, and they do those things that are their duty. And not, not indulge in all manner of uh, other things. And then he talked to the young men. And basically the message every time was you could sum it up in the fact that they needed to be in the confines of God's will and, and stay within that. He, I think the word sober was mentioned many, many times through there. Serious-minded. And then, so that's, that's what we're to do. That's the, uh, the imperative, is for us to exercise self-control, to be temperate. Now, in Titus chapter 2, later, I think it's down about verse 13 or so, where he says, um, you know, that the grace of God that bringeth salvation teaches us th- these things, it instructs us in these things. And that's where we get the, the enabling. In our flesh, we are, you know, our flesh is so strong. Those desires are so overwhelming. I heard a pastor once, he said, I've learned two things in life. He said, I've learned that, that junk is junk. <laughs> and he said, and I, the second thing I've learned is that people will do what they want to do. And, you know, that's, that's so often true. People do what they want to do. But we're to want to and desire to exercise self-control. Where do we get that desire? Where do we get that want to? Well, uh, Philippians says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So this is where we get back to the, the work of the Spirit of God. It's the grace of God that enables us. It's the Spirit of God that, even gives us the desire and then the ability to exercise restraint and control. So we're to control our bodies, we're to control our tongues, we're to control our thoughts. Now, this is a difficult one. But, you know, sometimes we have passions. Uh, Let's say you're given to, uh, to rage. You know, some people have the uh, the, a short fuse that anger can just sort of well up in them in a minute and I used to have to deal with some of my children in this area and they said well I just got angry you know and like that's an excuse or something and I said well you have to learn not to get angry or not allow your anger to control you and we have to control even our spirit our thoughts that that heart it says in 2 Corinthians 10:5 casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now that's an area where I think all of us need some help with from the Lord is to rein in our thoughts. Peter said to gird up the loins of your mind. You know, that girding up is like picking a belt and cinching it down <coughs> and we're to rein in and guard and and protect and and of course part of that self-control and the best thing to you know the easiest way to help yourself in that is not to let things into your mind that, are, that shouldn't be coming into there through the eye gate the ear gate you know allowing your mind to become filled with things that are only going to stir up the lust of the flesh in the in the mind and in the heart So we saw the need and the second point was the nature of self-control. And I just want to close back in, if you're still in Galatians 5, let's just consider for a short moment this last phrase, against such there is no law. I said it will either be the conscience or the constable. If you walk with the Spirit walk in the Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to produce in you these fruit. this fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You do that, you don't even need law. Because you're going to fulfill it. The law won't have to come down upon you. Because you're keeping the commandments by walking in the Spirit. That's why when we're governed by the Spirit, it's even better than governed by the law. The law is there for those when they break it. But the Spirit of God helps us to keep it. Let me let me illustrate that for you one way and I'll stop. We'll go to Romans chapter thirteen. Romans chapter thirteen, verse eight. In Romans thirteen eight it says, O no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You, you know this, right? That if you love your neighbor, and I'm talking about a real love, a Christ-like love, a, an agape love, a godly love. If we love in that manner, we're not going to sin against them. So really he says all you need is one law and that is love your neighbor as yourself and that comprehends all the rest of them because you're not going to do those things to your neighbor if you love them. Now this was directed toward you know, uh, horizontally with people but there's another way, there's vertical. How we act, how we behave toward people also how we behave and how we act toward God. And Jesus said it this way He said, "The the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, all our soul, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves." And on these two hang all the law and prophets. Um, You know, these two things: love God, love others, and you got the whole law taken care of, right? That's that's what we we understand that. We could say the same principle applies when you say, "Just walk in the spirit." And you have all the law taken care of. Because the law was given by the Spirit of God. And it's contrary to our flesh. But when we walk with God in Christ, empowered by the Spirit of God, we have, there is no law necessary. The law is there, but I mean, it's just, it doesn't, it's not needed. I used this illustration once back several, many weeks ago. I said, uh, you wouldn't have to, if everybody was like my wife, you would never have to make a law to not climb a tree. Because she's just not going to do it. And if everybody was walking in the Spirit, we wouldn't have to have laws. Because we would fulfill all of God's will. Does that make sense? So against such, there is no law. Well, we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit, all of those nine characteristics. And I don't know about you, but throughout the study, uh, I've been brought face to face with the fact that I need more of the work of God's Spirit in my life. When it comes to self-control, that's one that I'm not really... um, I think about food because this is an area where it shows up a lot for me. Uh, Somehow, and part of it is because I cheat. I have a good metabolism. Um, So I can eat what other people would not be able to eat without gaining lots of weight and that kind of thing, getting unhealthy. So I've learned to cheat. But, you know, it's hard when there's ice cream, when there's uh, chocolate, when there's good things there. But sometimes we have to tell ourselves no. No. You know, a lot of people, uh, you never hear much talk in Christianity about fasting anymore. Yeah. Because fasting takes some self-discipline. And I'm not saying we should just fast for the sake of fasting. You know, there's purposes for it. But but there's, there's a, even self-discipline is not a bad purpose. But certainly there's reasons to pray and fast. Well, I hope that's been enough for you to be able to, apply and think about my exercise in self-control the, what, what governs my life? the desires of the flesh? is that how, what I'm driven by? is that what motivates me? is that why I do what I do? or can I put those things aside and, and exercise control and live in the way God wants me to go. I uh, I was invited on uh, an outing yesterday And I really wanted to go. But the problem was I had work I had to get done. And so I had to decline going and doing what I wanted to do and doing what I needed to do. And so we have to do that. We have to exercise that. Well, let's pray.